1: Welcome to the Poor Charles 411. Today, we are revisiting our chat with Michael Sutton. It is so hard to believe that this is from December of 2020. This is an interview that I know definitely meant a lot to Amanda as well as me, but she remembers watching the story of Robin and Stone as it was happening. I unfortunately did not watch it as it happened. I became a regular watcher soon after his passing, but being able to just talk with him about the storyline and what it's come to mean all these years later, the year that we spoke to him in 2020, it had been 25 years since Stone had passed. Even to this day, now with Sonny living in Stone's old apartment, it's, it's just amazing that he still has such an impact on the show all this time later. So we hope that you enjoy revisiting our chat with Michael Sutton.
3: Hello! Hi!
1: I don't even know what to do.
3: I'm telling you, my teeth hurt from smiling.
1: Oh, so we just finished speaking with Michael Sutton, who played Stone Cates on General Hospital, and I know... I made sure not to say his name because I didn't want to call him Stone. And uh, I know. And we talk about that a little bit. And I think that he knew like we weren't because we kept saying you, you, you. But I mean, right. he knew what we were talking about. Yes. So uh, I just I can't. It was <laughs> it was just wonderful. He was wonderful to talk to. And I know that we say this every single time. Oh, hey, by the way, welcome to the poor Charles 411. I think I <laughs> forgot to say that. Yes. Yes, you did. Oops. <laughs> So if you have no idea who we're talking about with Stone Cates, go back to last week's Port Charles 411. We talk about the character, and this week we talk to the actor. So we'll just talk to you after the interview. So enjoy our chat with Michael Sutton. Hi there.
0: Hi. How are you?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you.
3: Thanks so, so who's much. Too?
0: Who's Amanda? I'm,
1: I'm Amanda.
0: Okay, nice. How are you both?
1: Doing good, yeah.
0: Nice. Thanks so much
1: for agreeing to talk with us. and
0: Of course, it's, it's my pleasure. I hope that this works out okay, you know?
1: Yeah. Um, so we have a... Is, what is that?
0: I said it is what it is these days with Zoom and exactly. home feeds, lighting and everything else. So we'll, yeah. we'll go for it.
1: Exactly. You just got to make the best of it. Of course. Um, so yeah, we have a General Hospital fan podcast and... We do something every Thursday called the Port Charles 411. And we typically dig into either a character or an event, or sometimes we do interviews with cast or past cast. And, uh, you know, we just recapped Robin's diary and we're sitting there like, it's been 25 years. Oh my goodness. You know, why isn't anyone doing anything? So (laughs) we decided to be the ones to do it. (laughs)
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. That's good. That's great. There was a lot of interaction on uh, on Twitter, especially, so it got it got all the dialogue going again.
1: Yes. And uh, this week, we're actually recapping, recapping your character, so then we'll release this interview next week.
0: Fantastic.
1: So, yeah. And at least for us, um, so Amanda started watching before I did, and he was kind of like your first storyline that you yes. really watched. Yep. And I started watching consistently because, you know, school, whenever we got home, I missed it um, was when Lily died, which was the year after you. So um, I had never watched the storyline from beginning to end until last week. And I was a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) She cried during our (laughs) recap. We're talking about it. That's how involved she was.
0: Wow. Yeah, it was, it was heavy.
1: Did you know when you were cast that you were going to be part of that storyline and pass away?
0: No. So Um, I think originally they were looking to find a character for Antonio Sabato's storyline and Jagger. Mm -hmm. So they brought me on to play his brother um, because he was getting a lot of publicity at the time. So they were like trying to develop that. I think that was their main goal. Um, And then about two weeks after I joined, they brought in Maurice Bernard as Sonny and then started that whole dynamic of like a fight over the parental and responsibility for stone and that tug of war. And uh, I think it wasn't until about a year into the character where uh, Wendy Rich wanted to do an age storyline. And uh, as she tells the story, they were doing sort of a, a discussion with the writers and figuring out what the best vehicle would be to tell that story. And they kind of liked the um, heterosexual uh, storyline that you know, Stone and Robin could engage into with Stone's background being on the street and maybe some intravenous drug use. So it sort of was the right character to do it. And then, you know, when they started to kind of talk about it more uh, with Kimberly's character growing up on the show and everybody being so like endearing towards her and uh, it affecting more people than less, I think that they they kind of got their answer that it was going to be the Robin and Stone storyline. Yeah. Uh, to yeah. affect as many people as possible with an impact that, you know, um, change has to happen. You have to relook at the way you're perceiving this. It's not a niche disease. You can't stereotype it to the gay community. And I think if they would have done it, you know, without those components, it wouldn't have hit home like it did to so many. Um, and I think that w- that was the legacy of that is that it, it affected everyone and everyone cared. And so everyone had to relook at the way that they thought about the disease
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, absolutely. Because uh, we've even talked about how when we were in school and the way that they were educating us, you know, it was a stereotypical, you know, demographic. And even they even addressed that, you know, when Stone went to visit Lucky's class and everything, you know, I thought that how did you prepare for the role? Like, how did you really or for that storyline? I mean, we'll talk about the other stuff you did, too. But, <laughs> um, you know, just well, preparing yeah. for that storyline. How did you?
0: Out of, out of sheer terror, to be honest with you. It scared me to my core because I, I was a relatively new actor. Uh, I had gone to film school. I had done a bunch of commercials. I was just, you know, sort of trying to get comfortable on that sound stage. to be honest with you, to be thrown that sort of heavy material. I just didn't know if I was ready for it, to be honest with you. So because I was so intimidated by it, I just got consumed with how am I going to, you know, kind of make this real. So, um, that's really what it became for me. It really was a a method acting sort of, it it was just me raw, um, because I didn't know how to do any of the other tricks of the trade, so to speak. Um, and, and I'm, I'm glad that it was that way because I think that's why it was so powerful. It really got that, uh, essential sort of just gut wrenching performance out of me. Um, and if i would have been a more seasoned actor maybe i would have taken a, a an easier approach to it so it was a blessing in in disguise i mean when i first got there they would have told me i had to cry i don't know if i would have been able to do it i would have wanted to like cut an onion and get tears going and you know try to see how i could manifest and fake it but when that thing got to the end of the storyline and um we did the documentary and I met all these people that went to the, you know, the AIDS hospices I met had died along the way. And it really was real. Um, And people were like coming up to me on the street, like I was stone and they wanted to talk to me about people that had been affected. And so it was a daily sort of thing that I couldn't escape from not, not only the material, but offset as well. I mean, if I wasn't sleeping and eating, I was on the set and learning my lines and then everything else being thrown at me was from people that wanted to discuss the material and the subject matter. So I just was, I was that for those, you know, two years or a year and a half.
1: It was really, really well done and, you know, beautifully told. And I mean, it's still spoken about as one of the best storylines that kind of brought us up to date with AIDS and like what it actually is and, you know, how they've progressed Robin too over the past 25 years, they've kept up with
0: it. So, yeah, you know what? That's I think um, the most surprising thing that I'm proud of is that the story made it as meaningful after the fact and kept you know the legacy going, which I think they they really um, were obligated to do. You know, having told a, a story in real time, and mm-hmm. I think you know we I, I just literally uh, spoke with Kimberly yesterday because we did a little we did a little uh, interview for. Uh, Michael fairman, and um, so i hadn't seen her in a while. It was great to sort of reminisce and talk about all that the, those moments and those things but you know um, I think that we we can be proud of it, and you know what was discussed was you know we we want to be that sort of um, the the passing of the baton from Luke and Laura to the Robin and stone like i I, I would like that to be the way that those two get memorialized, you know, that they, they were the romantic couple of, you know, the 90s and G.H. passed the baton from Luke and Laura to them. And then we'll see who they pass it to next, you know. Yeah. But everyone else is just a single entity like, you know, Maurice Bernard, who's like my brother. I love him. When you think of Sonny, you think of Sonny, you know, you think of Sonny in the relationships, but it's Sonny. You know, when you think of Stone, it's Robin and Stone.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. when you think of
0: Luke or Laura. It's Luke and Laura. They, they they go together as a as a entity.
1: Yeah. No, you're right because when we were preparing for just the Stone recap, because I hadn't watched it live at that time, I was like, there really wasn't anything other than when you started is when you worked with Karen a lot, and then Jagger found you, and then you met Robin, and the rest is history. You know. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. No, it's true. Um, You know, with COVID, it's it's interesting. So much good TV is had been produced, and now we're able to like sit at home and be entertained and watch it. And um, you know, as a as an actor back then, I used to always be like, "Well, it's a soap opera, and it came with like a stigma or limitations." But when you see like um, the way in which people stream, you know, material now that's why I realized the fans were so engaged because it was a daily thing, not a weekly thing or not a two hour movie. So I really felt like that's why when, when people talk to me, it's like, they know me and it catches me off guard sometimes because the manner in which they would interact with me was I was still a part of their family and I wasn't some fictionalized character that was once a week or, you know, a sitcom or something that, that, you know, People valued as better storytelling sometimes, but it really isn't, you know. And there's no harder work than a soap opera, I can tell you. Learning, you know, sixty or so pages of dialogue a day and doing an episode a day. I mean, there's no harder work out there. So I, I, I think it was the right vehicle to tell that story in the right format. And and TV nowadays is proving to be the uh, the medium to tell you know great stories, not film.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you do in your downtime away from that story? Cause it had to be stressful to be in that character and <laughs> on in a way all of the time.
0: Oh my God. It's, it's so true. I, I was so just depressed from the material and drained and exhausted that finally, um, my dad had, uh, my dad was a, a very prominent, uh, public relations agent. So he had a lot of actors and production companies and directors, et cetera. But one of the accounts he had was a nightclub. And so I said to my dad, I said, you know, I don't see my friends. I just am in this little bubble. I said, I I want one night a week where I can just see all my friends and have a couple drinks and just release some of the pressure. And so I started promoting a nightclub while I was on General Hospital. And so that night of the week, I just made it a point that I would learn my lines as quickly and best I could. But I would get to the nightclub and just call time out, and that was my sanity. So, um, literally, I, I, I was working all the other time, but that those two hours or three hours on that one night a week—that's what I did. So, I, I became I became a nightclub promoter, and that led to a whole other business for me. Actually, I got into the restaurant and nightclub business and owned a bunch of restaurants and nightclubs, and it was a really uh, it was a second career for me. That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I always monopolize that. <laughs> I'm less shy than Amanda. <laughs> so, um,
0: <laughs> Well, Amanda, how, how, how was the storyline when you were watching it in real time? I mean, what, what sort of was the, the resonance there?
3: So I had grown up with General Hospital just here and there. My mom had watched it and, you know, you just kind of watch it because it's in the house. And then we had moved from Pittsburgh back to Ohio to a different area than what I had grown up in. So I didn't have any friends. So General Hospital was like my come home from school and have an escape and just be completely consumed in that. And I loved Jagger and Karen and then came along uh, stone with Robin. And just the fact that she was you know, only a few years older than I was. And it was a completely different story than what we had been being told in health class. That's not how I had looked at HIV and AIDS. And so it was not just a storyline, but an education.
0: Right, 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 right. Did you watch the documentary also?
3: I did. not I will have to watch that.
0: Yeah, that that was like, it became double work, but it was also you know our sort of educational tool. Because I mean, we were filming the documentary simultaneously. So I was going to AIDS hospices. Oh. I was going and meeting with the doctors at UCLA who were giving the writers the information.
3: Oh. Um,
0: I mean, they, they really they really told the story in a delicate manner that was respectful for what, you know, the magnitude of the disease was. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's something that in discussions yesterday, it was brought up. I never really thought about this before, but, um, for, for better or for worse, I think COVID the, the, the one benefit that happened with COVID was because people weren't, um, so entrenched with their own daily lives and they were forced to like slow down. They weren't working. They were at home they were able to sort of process things in a different way. I think that's what changed with Black Lives Matter was that people were able to say, wow, you know, what really is going on? As opposed to like, oh, it's not my problem. I'm not black. I don't have to deal with this. And they put it in its own little category. I think COVID allowed for the white majority to say, wait, who's accepting this? This isn't right. Let's do something about it. And, and in a weird way, I sort of feel like, the genius behind General Hospital's choice to do the age storyline that way, by making it a majority um, discussion, not a minority discussion, changed the way in which they were able to like progress. And you know, it's like I, I see a parallel there. Although they're completely different, I get it, and I'm not looking to you know uh, lessen what Black Lives Matter is. But it 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 doesn't just take the victim complaining; it takes the oppressor to realize that something has to change. And right. I think that there's a
1: lot of misinformation. So
0: yeah. You know, that's and that, it. So connection between the two that sort of woke up the, you know, the, the popular majority.
1: Yeah. And I mean, if it happened, if the HIV and AIDS came about now for the first time, it would probably still be thought of the same way, you know, that, well, that's not my problem. You know, that's, and especially now with social media and everything, I mean, we get, it's so easy to just drown in all the info, all the, information, misinformation, whatever, you know, but yeah. there's yeah. just so much coming at us, but you're right. Like COVID slowed us down and you were able to better digest single things at a single time. And
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Cause yeah. life's hard. You know, people don't have time to worry about other people's problems as much as their own needs. You know, they're, they're working, they got kids, they're busy. They're just trying to make ends meet. And sometimes they miss, you know, what's, what's the bigger picture just, just cause they can't, they can't afford that time, You know.
1: Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And I think that's life in general, you know, it's like humanity is we're only as good as our weakest link and uh, we need to, we need to all elevate, you know, to win. So there can't be any men, women left standing, left behind. Um, And I think that's sort of hopefully where we're going. And um, you know, Kimberly was great yesterday. Kimberly um, you know, being a child actor, she was uh, saying that obviously the storyline was so big, but, she said she did her best work also as an actor in this and um, you know, which is great because you could be on a show for many years and many decades, but if it's not meaningful, you're just, you know, you're delivering lines, you know, right. You're getting paid and you're delivering the lines and it's great and it's entertaining, but it's not important. And uh, you know, everyone in the storyline and they really brought in everybody. I mean, Maurice Bernard, I talk to all the time. I hit him for Thanksgiving and, you know, he's like, oh, I was just talking about you, you know? <laughs> so it's like, we have this connection that that won't go away because we've been in the trenches together. And even if I haven't seen or heard from Kimberly in a while, it's like, you know, she's family because, you know, we, we've been through it and um, it's nice. There's a comfort level where we're, we're, there's, the acceptance is there always.
1: Yeah. How did the two of you work together through the storyline? You know, did you... Cause you said like you went and did the nightclub and you couldn't hang out with your friends and everything. Did you stay like in contact outside of work hours or, you know, did you talk about how you're going to do the story together?
0: So we had this acting coach that, uh, was working with Kimberly. His name is John Homa. And, um, John was working with, um, a bunch of great actresses, primarily young, young actresses, um he was working with Kimberly and because all of our scenes were together, he started coaching me as well. So between doing the documentary, doing our acting classes and the scenes, we spent so much time together that we really got in sync and we knew what choices we were making together. We knew the direction of the storyline and how we wanted to portray it. Uh, we knew the arc of what was going to happen a few weeks in advance so we could prepare for it. Um, so that it wasn't one note. We knew it had to build up and then we knew, you know, there was going to be a lot of different levels. Um, you know, not just the panic of, Oh my God, but then the anger and the fear and the sad and, you know, different levels throughout it and when to, when to bring that out. So yes, the answer is we, we, we did really get in sync and we were coached very well together. Um, it was like getting our PhD in acting, to be honest with you. Yeah. I I think, you know, you two are a perfect example of, you know, why this storyline won't go away. You know, Shannon, you just watched it for the first time, you know, Amanda, you had, you know, this place in your heart for 25 years about it. So it's like, you know, well, um, there's new people to turn on and watch it. And we we have to remember that the storyline of of a soap opera is in perpetuity. It's ongoing. So it's like, uh, I'll get a, I got, you know, three or four calls saying, come back as a ghost. <laughs> so I'd, go, I'd come on and, and, and play the character, you know, again, and they'd figure out a way to work me in the storyline. And I'm hoping that that happens again, you know, being the, that Maurice is still on the show, there leaves opportunity for me to come in and do scenes with him or, you know, uh, figure out a way to be meaningful still. Um, and then who knows, you know, I don't think Kimberly's going back to the show anytime uh, soon, but y- y- you never know, and they may bring <laughs> us both back for some dream sequence or something like that, and yeah. the fans want to see it. So when things like that come up, you know, I I, I know I would be um, willing and-, and and able to do it, and I'm sure she would as well. So it's it's an ongoing thing that we'll stay involved with and,
1: yeah, and committed. Yeah, let's hope because at the beginning of the year she posted that, and I quietly retired from acting, and we're all like, what? <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, they can't just it, they're not going to recast Robin Scorpio. No. <laughs> like, that's not going to happen. No. But Anna's getting married. She needs to be there.
0: <laughs> right. And so maybe that'll be you're right for, for events like that. And I, I mean, I would imagine Kimberly would, um, out of respect to the, the character, yeah. You know, figure out how to do it. I, I don't think she necessarily wants to go back to acting on General Hospital. But right. Those types of things, I think, are important to just kind of be there for.
1: Right. Especially where we need an exit. I mean, yeah, she she and her husband went to California, but that was not when Luke left. We got he left. You know, right. Luke is not coming back. So
0: is that um, right? He's not coming back.
1: Yeah. When was that? 2015. Uh, okay. Tony Gary right. has. He's gone, you know, so. I I
0: didn't know that. I I hadn't followed that. Um, Interesting, interesting.
1: So had you watched the show before? Here, I'll steal your question that you always ask. (laughs) Um, Had you watched the show before?
0: Yes. So my mom and my grandmother were (laughs) diehard General Hospital fans. So whenever I was at home, whether I was sick or someday that, you know, I I was at home and not at school, I would watch the soap operas with my mom and my grandmother. You know, my grandmother was like a second mom. Uh, she was hilarious she would read all of my fan mail she would
3: address
0: back all of my fan mail she would tell me all about it then we would pick a day and I'd read all the fan mail with her it was an amazing bonding experience I was very close with my mom and my and my grandmother with the with the connection with GH I brought them down to the set Um, she was so funny meeting everybody she'd call them by their their character name their screen name no matter if I said, this is Maurice, she'd say, hi, Sunny. You know, it was just, it was great. And I didn't want to interfere with that or correct her or just, I just wanted her to have her moment. So it was uh, great. So that, that was the extent of which I knew about the show. I didn't really watch it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, But when I did go, when I did get the, uh, get the casting for it, I started watching the show. So I was like, all right, let me know what's going on. I knew who Jagger was and I knew who Karen was, those characters, because they were in my scene that, um, mm-hmm. you know, I had to, had to do a screen test for with them. Um, so that was, that, then I was thrown into it, to be honest with you, once I got notified. So I had the screen test and then I was told that they were looking at 1,500 people in New York.
1: Wow. Um, so they did the
0: LA portion of the casting, the New York casting, and then they would have a decision. So I knew it would, you know, it was, it was, it was potentially still a long shot. So um, then after they looked at people in New York, we did a screen test. And then um, I got notified literally that I started working like 10 days later and they sent me like, you know, I don't know, six scripts. And I was like, wow, this is a lot of work, you know, to do a screen test. I was working off the same six pages to do, you know, my sessions with the casting directors and with the producers and whatnot. And then I was like, I got Learn how many pages a day, and wait a minute—it was—it was like overload. So it's a crazy process. I get—I give them a lot of credit. Um, when I went down to the set uh, last time to work with Maurice, uh, it was pretty remarkable to see how he did it because at this point now he was just quickly memorizing his lines and then delivering them, as opposed to the rehearsals and the memory because it's just too much nonsense after a while. He just needed to know what he needed to know at that moment, deliver it, and then new information, retain it, deliver it. And that's how he he kind of got through the day, which is remarkable. And he's an amazing, he's an amazing actor. Uh, to do what he's done and carry that show year after year is just outstanding.
1: He's definitely one of our favorites. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. And, you know, recently I'll, I'll tell you it's, uh, with COVID going on. So I got into real estate after the restaurant and nightclub business, I got into real estate and i I sort of do, um, luxury estates in the Beverly Hills area, you know, uh, like buying and selling and then design build. We just started a little fun to do, uh, you know, like to, to do spec homes and, and flip, um, in the market, which is, which is cool, but PPE came around and, um, I got involved in trying to procure gloves and masks for some of the different ho- hospitals and um, frontline providers. So some of the people that I came in contact with were huge general hospital fans. Oh, so I hit up Maurice and I said, listen, do you mind doing a little video clip and uh, addressing it to this nurse? And, you know, so he did two really funny video clips for me for people that are in the PPE business. And they just, they, they loved it. I sent it to them and they were just shocked, you know, because that's their, superstar guy now telling them that they're superstars and thanking them for their service. So it was pretty cool.
1: And that was really sweet of him to do too. You know, it's,
0: yeah. Yeah. He actually said, he goes, that's what we're supposed to do. That's the responsibility that comes with being a celebrity or famous. He's like, that's our, that's our job. So he, he really understands. And that's why I think with his whole bipolar mental illness awareness, um, he's so dedicated to it and so vulnerable with it to expose, you know, something that otherwise most people wouldn't talk about.
1: Yeah. Um, we, I have a daughter who's autistic and Amanda has a daughter that's bipolar too. So it's, Mm -hmm. we definitely really respect him on a whole other, I mean, we love him in the mob and everything, but you know, that part of it too is really. That's that's amazing.
0: That's amazing. Well, I'm sure that, uh, being, you know, connected to that world, then you, you really understand what he's doing. It's, it's awesome.
1: And I'm also in real estate. So if you ever need anything in Pittsburgh, just hit me up.
0: I love <laughs> it. Let's do it.
1: That works. Yeah. Um,
3: so you haven't acted as much, obviously, since General Hospital. Was that a conscious decision or do you feel like you were just stuck in the stone roll? You needed something completely different.
0: You know, um, when I got off the soap, I was like, okay, now at least I had proven to myself I could act. I knew that I could kind of manipulate the material the way that I wanted to. And I was really gung-ho. And one of the first things that I got was this movie called Inventing the Abbots. And, you know, it had this stellar cast and it was like, you know, Jennifer Connelly and Billy Crudup and Joaquin Phoenix and Liv Tyler. And anyway, so um, I was like, great, this is going to be amazing. But, you know, I did a film that didn't perform as well as they thought they thought it was going to be a blockbuster film. It was a little tiny, little role. So it's like, as I got older, I was realizing it's like, you know, yeah, everyone wants to be a movie star and yeah, everyone wants to do film or yeah, everyone wants to do different things, but I was never going to get the character or the material that I got on general hospital. And that started to like, be a problem. Um, it worked to my favor in inventing the abbots because the casting director loved what I did on general hospital. So she pushed me to make sure that the director knew that that's who they wanted to play this role. And that worked. And then it worked against me with just about everything else. I would walk into casting rooms and they'd be like, that's the kid that died of AIDS That's stone. That's that. And I couldn't believe that it was a stigma, but it was, it was. And, uh, you know, I acted a year and a half ago. I did a little part in a pilot for, um, this production down in Florida. So I do little things every now and then, but I don't pursue it. If people call me with something that that's cool, uh, you know, uh, it, as long as I as long as I can fit the time in. You know, I got a full separate career and a whole different path that I'm on, but I as a craft, I mean, I love acting. It's it's a it's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> yeah.
2: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: So have you ever done any, you know, stage theater, anything like that?
0: I did a play um, called The Class of 1990, I believe it was called, at the Tiffany Theater in in West Hollywood here. Uh, that was the only time I did theater. I was, you know, an athlete growing up, so I didn't spend any of the time in the drama department. Um, I was really playing playing sports, and it wasn't until after I got done with high school that I – started modeling and doing commercials and then got into film school and started acting. And that was the path that was uh, completely different. But, you know, um, uh, I went to high school with Steve Burton and Steve Burton was wow. in the department at the high school. So, you know, he was a, he was a seasoned actor in my eyes and I was an athlete, you know, so I had a learning curve to catch up to him and I'm going to actually speak to, uh, Steve tomorrow. He does some podcasts, um, that I'm committed to do tomorrow. So I'm not sure what yep. I got myself into.
1: But <laughs> It'll be I, fun. It's fun. It's a good yeah. podcast. It's a good show. It's with him and
0: Bradford. Right. But I heard they're they're they have a they have a comedic routine and they do live performances and they have a they, band.
1: Yep. Right? So okay. they um before COVID they would come to different comedy clubs. So like they would come to our improv and they only came to Pittsburgh twice. And um it's great. They just you know, the first time I actually went by myself because Amanda had to babysit and best excuse ever. Right. <laughs> and I was like, but I want to go. So I'm going to go by myself. And you, had, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And it was just hysterical. They're so funny. Yes, Jason is with Sam, but it's really about Jason and Spinelli. <laughs> They're the true love story on the show. Is their friendship and everything. So
0: that, that's funny. Well,
1: because that's one of the things that, interested me the most when, not the most, but I thought was really interesting as I was watching the Stone storyline was he and Jason actually were kind of friends when he was Jason Quartermain. And then obviously now he's Jason Morgan and he doesn't know who Stone is. And, or, I mean, he doesn't remember you. And I was like, why can't they damage his brain again? And all of a sudden those memories come back that he does remember because he's so close with Sonny.
0: You know, it's, this is the first time I'm learning that information. So tell me that again. Jason, okay. Jason Quartermain is no longer Jason Quartermain?
1: No. So, so AJ had a drinking problem, <laughs> and he drunk drove one night and smashed into a tree. Mm-hmm. And Jason wound up in a coma, and he came out, and he was not Jason Quartermain anymore. So he took the name Jason Morgan, which was Lila's maiden name, right? so his grandmother's maiden name, Um, and then that's when he hooked in with Sonny and that was the really fun part was seeing he and Sonny working, like, you know, he came to the, um, penthouse to see stone and invite him over to go like work out in the gym and everything.
2: Right. But Mm -hmm.
1: Sonny was very hesitant and he's like, I can't trust the quartermains, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And now Jason's his right-hand man. So Jason's Mm -hmm. last name is now Morgan he basically he he reconnected with the quartermains, but not it, not it's, it's out he's of not, respect. He's no longer a doctor. He is now Sonny's enforcer. And <clears throat> what pretty much what he was training you to do is what Jason does now.
0: God, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And
1: yeah. then yeah. and then Sonny named his son Morgan Stone Parinthos right. after
0: the two of you. Right. That I that I knew about. Interesting. Well, see.
1: AJ's dead
0: now. I've not kept up, but that's a a big, (laughs) vital piece of information you just gave me. Yes. Because he may have mentioned that tomorrow and I wouldn't know what he was talking about. All right, good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so like he doesn't remember anything from before the crash.
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, we've seen it before. Didn't Tony Geary come back as his cousin or his twin or something?
1: Yeah, right.
0: Yeah. (laughs) We thought that it was going to
1: happen recently but it didn't when was that that was like a year ago Mm -hmm. that we thought oh no no no! he was in the bike crash over the summer oh yeah that was a couple months ago
0: right nothing came of it but hopefully they keep the soaps and figure out you know how to keep that whole you know tv production working and worth it you know reality shows really have killed you know the soaps but the soaps are are very important i think um so i hope they figure out how to do it There, there may be less of them but someone's got to kind of become a marquee sponsor and get the financing to what really will kind of get the production value back on that show and let them really cast it properly. And, you know, um, that, that's what's changed that from, from my understanding is they just don't have the budget anymore.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was even just listening to the music that was played at the Paradise Lounge was all top 10 hits, like top 40. And there is no way they would do that now.
0: No, you know, no.
1: it's they there's no way they could pay for the rights to have five print songs in one episode.
0: Yeah. 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 It's sad. I hope they figure it out. You know, it's yeah. uh, what's the most popular soap opera these days?
1: I think it goes. I think they all pretty much rotate. I think GH gets up there. Oh, there's only four. It, right? so.
0: There's only four. Wow. Yeah. How many were there back then? I think there was like eight or nine or more. I don't know. It, at least because there would have been
3: nine, because didn't each network have three? And then they tried doing those like half hour things right. that would start ahead the, of time, but those never really light.
0: The spinoffs, yeah. right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Antonio did that, the spinoff, I think Kimberly did the spinoff too,
1: yep, mm-hmm. night shift. So we just watched that for the first time over the summer when GH ran out of episodes, but we only watched the first season before they were able to come back. But right. Jagger has a son named Stone. Jagger does. Yep.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Yep. On that. On, on Night Shift.
1: Yep. So he had a son, but it, it's not Karen's son. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: They got to figure out how to archive all the shows so that if someone just wanted to watch Robin <laughs> and Stone's storyline, they just yeah. have that, you know? Yeah. And nowadays they can do it. And they should just make a deal with Netflix or someone and just, you know, put the different storylines up.
1: Yeah. They should do it with Disney Plus because they're an ABC company.
0: Yeah. Disney Plus. There you go. Yep, uh, I
1: might yeah. have already suggested that to Disney Plus. They have a little <laughs> section that you can suggest movies and TV shows. I was like, um, all of General Hospital.
0: Yeah, yeah, they'll do it eventually. You know,
1: I hope so because it's right now we have to use YouTube, and if you go on YouTube and put in like your storyline and everything, it's VHS tapes that people probably seriously set up like a camcorder yeah. to. Yeah. Uh, Stream onto YouTube or something, mm-hmm. but
0: it's it's true, it's true. I've I've seen some of those people send me those things, but yeah, they need to get the actual archival ABC footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: we agree. I mean, they're going to have to
0: figure out how to, how to get revenue streams, so they might as well. You know,
1: exactly. I would absolutely pay for that. I would absolutely pay to be able to watch 58 years of general. Hospital. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: When they had the 50th anniversary, there was Soapnet, and they did 50 hours of general hospital. Uh-huh. And I taped all of them because they showed the first one. And then they showed a lot of the major storylines.
0: Right, 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 right. They'll we could it. be
1: saving the show right now here. <laughs> Thank you.
0: I, I, I think you two would be perfect candidates for it.
1: <laughs> I met you too. Like this is a, right.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm in. I'm in. Absolutely. No, it's, it's great. It's, it's humbling. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to have been part of a storyline that people still care about. And that was meaningful because having done the work and having put my time there, it, if it would have just gone away, it would have been fine. But, you know, I'm glad to see that it has legs and it's still relevant. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's nice.
1: And you, you Are still like receiving it very well because I know that sometimes actors can get very, oh, they're never going to see me as more than blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, right. It's so it's wonderful to hear you still talk about it with, you know, the passion and the love of the character and the time that you spent there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I I put in too much to not have that forever. (laughs) You know?
1: Yeah. So, what's your favorite memory from being on the set or the show or anything?
0: Um good question. I had um had a nice kind of um compliment from Maurice because I was not very good at the beginning of you know my acting career and I was doing most of my scenes with Maurice. And um you two will appreciate this because it sort of goes back to what he's so open about now. But the first um the first day that I had scenes with Sonny, Sonny and Stone, Maurice just was amazing. He had probably 12 scenes, so much dialogue, and he just ripped through it all and just was brilliant. And I was like, wow, you know, impressed by just the amount of material that he was able to just process, go through. I mean, it's a a lot. It's overwhelming at the start, but he had 10 years on me and he was on another soap opera. So he was used, it it wasn't that big of a deal for him, I guess. It's still a lot of work, but he knew knew the, the format. And then on like day two or day three, he had um, like a panic attack and um, it was like one of the first scenes of the day and he had another like 12 scenes or so with me that day. And I was like, what's going on? You know, cause that wasn't the same Maurice from uh, day one. And he was kind of scared and a little shaky. And, um, you know, I, I was a complete novice, but I was like, I seen you rip it. So you just, something must go on. So I looked at him and I said, all right, just, I'll get you through these scenes. Just, you know, just rely on me and I'll, I'll pull you through it. And, you know, he's looking at me like, you're going to pull me through these scenes. Like, what do you, you know, but anyway, because he was in that sort of condition and state, it worked. And I got him through day, I think that was day two. So I got him through day two, day three, I think he called in sick. And so on. like the, that was like on a Friday and on the next Monday, you know, I, I showed up and I was hoping that everything was okay. And he, he confided in me and he says, you know, listen, um, you, you're, you're just starting, you know, he goes, obviously you're not a great actor. You're probably not even a good actor, but you've got some, <laughs> he was, he was being like, he was setting me up for like the, um, uh, the compliment, which was, but you got me through, but whatever you have is there. And for getting me through that day, uh, where I was completely overwhelmed, I'm going to take you under my wing and I'm going to. You know make sure that I teach you everything that I know and he did he really did take me under his wing and all my scenes were with him and it really became it started to become fun because uh, the dynamic that we started to have the chemistry you could start to see on screen and um, he said to me he goes I, oh I said to him thank you I really appreciate that if you do take me under your wing I'll, uh, I'll I'll work really hard and I know I'm not very good right now where it's exciting to do scenes with me but I guarantee you, if you do put in that time, there'll be a time where, you know, you'll want to work with me and you'll, 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 you'll appreciate, you know, having made that decision. So when the age storyline was in full effect, I mean, we were, we were just doing great work. Maurice knocked on my door at the dressing room and he said, well, I just want to let you know what happened. And I said, what happened? And he said, uh, well, I just went upstairs to the producers and Wendy Rich and the writers and I demanded that they write more scenes for Sonny and Stone. And he goes, you told me that one day it would come full circle and that I would want to do scenes with you. And I, he reminded me of the story. And at that time, I knew about him being bipolar. And I knew that he, t- he took lithium. And I knew that at that time, he, I guess he didn't take it those day two and three or something. And he started to like have the effects of it. So I knew that about Maurice for all those years, but he never talked about it publicly, and I never thought anybody else knew. So, cut two years later, I went to support a film that he did, um, and when I went to the screening of it, it was about mental health and about this subject matter. And then he started becoming more open about it, and then I think he wrote the book, and then it was like full steam with you know, all right, I suffer from this, and I was like, wow, that's that's brilliant because obviously it's not something that he was talking about 25 years ago,
1: right? Right. You know, and we read the book last year. I think we got it the day that it came out. And I think there were several times where he wound up like calling in and, you know, not being able to go to work. And
0: yeah, he would, he would say back then he'd say, you know, don't, don't ask me a question because I can't lie. So if you're not prepared to hear the answer, you know, realize I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to offend you because I'm going to shoot straight. Not that it was right, wrong, or indifferent, but that was his prerogative to say, that's my opinion. So it would, it would be an ongoing joke where he'd say it, he goes, you know, you, you like, you know, everyone would want advice by someone who's like, you know, we looked up to, and he would say, do you sure you want my opinion? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, he was blunt, you know, but that's how he dealt with his, you know, um, bipolar disorder back then was to just let people know hey, I'm not going to change for you because it'll throw me off my healing and what I have to do to stay on that straight and narrow. So I I don't lie. Here's what it is. I hope you can process it or just I won't answer or don't ask me.
1: Right. That was sweet. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's something that uh, Steve talked about, too, is that he was really good with if you were willing to work with him, that he was willing to put the effort into working with you too. So, you know, if you wanted to be receiving from his experience and everything,
0: yeah, he would do it. it, it. it, 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 And it's funny. It's like acting. There's a lot of different techniques and a lot of different um, sort of strategies. And then there's method acting and there's all kinds of different sort of legendary, you know, paths to take. And one of the first acting coaches when I got hired, well, I didn't really work well with for whatever reason, he was not encouraging enough with me. And so it was just, I always wasn't doing it the right way and it it wasn't nurturing enough for, for me. Um, and so I didn't progress. And Maurice became sort of the acting coach for me until John Homa came around when the Robin and stone storyline hit. So I really, Maurice was like my coach and the person that was hired to be the coach of all like the younger cast members, um, I just didn't sort of feel what he was trying to teach me. And when I would get up to the set, the producers would have a different take than what that coach was telling me. So it, it, it was counterproductive. And then it was, it was, um, it was hurting my confidence, you know, cause after a while you're like, wow, what do they want from me? You know, and what direction do they want to go with this character? And it's all, it was all new. So it was overwhelming in that sense. So with Maurice going through what he was going through and me trying to find, you know, the confidence and the character Maurice became like my best friend. So day in and day out, I mean, we had lunch together, we were in each other's dressing rooms, you know, in between scenes and just talking and whatever. Um, and if, you know, any of my family had come down, he would be interacting with my mom or my grandma or whatever. We had this really great rapport. So when I left GH, the thing that I missed the most was the the friendship with, uh, with, with Maurice. And it's funny, you know, at that time, um, Maurice didn't have that with anybody else not with Antonio not with Steve not with any that was our little thing but when I had left I noticed that he then had that same rapport with Steve so he found like that cast mate to like have that friendship with and that sort of that that was nice to see um because I was worried about him (laughs) I was worried I was worried he was going to survive there without me (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, and you guys both started around the same time. So it's like you were the new kids on the block that were, right. you know, trying to get used to everybody else.
0: So yeah. And we were, and we were taking over the storyline. So it's like, right. We we were, we were alienated in that sense. Cause we also weren't friends with everybody on the cast yet. And then we were getting the material and you know how that goes. It's like, we wanted to prove ourselves and we didn't want them to hate us. And then luckily it all, you know, got sort of intertwined and interwoven. And there was enough people in that Robin and Stone storyline that everyone felt involved.
1: Yeah. Well, both of you had really heavy storylines from the get go. You know, you were just coming in off the street. Sonny was running a strip club. And then, I mean, Karen progressed really quickly into the drugs. And
0: she was, she was great, too. That was she she really um, came out of her shell in that storyline. And and she she found herself in that role. Yeah. Yeah. I still keep up with her every now and then too. Uh, she's great. I did a film with Antonio after GH where we played brothers. Oh uh, yeah. We shot that in, um, we shot that in Bulgaria and, uh, and uh, it was cool. It's called hypersonic. It didn't, it didn't get released in the, um, in the theaters in the U S just, just overseas.
1: Oh.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm sure we could find it online now. All right. So
0: hypersonic yeah 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 it's actually cool they did they in in bulgaria they had um green screen so it it was sort of like uh it was a, a race around the world in these in these uh jets and um so it was all green screen and they did a good job for the budget i mean it looks looks fantastic awesome. i think the budget of the film was all of probably a couple million bucks i don't know and uh it looks like a you know 15 20 million dollar film wow yeah
1: we'll have to check that out we will. yeah yeah You've been waiting 25 years to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> she, she told me that she was going
3: to surprise me and not tell me that we were interviewing you. And I was like, I'm really glad you didn't do that because I may not be able to talk at all. So uh, yeah, I'm I'll, glad that I had the preparation.
0: That's awesome. Um, that's awesome, I man.
3: I don't know anything else about GH to talk about. What What's next for you? What are you working on now? Like, where do you see yourself continuing on?
0: Well, you know, I, I mean, I love the entertainment industry and I love storytelling Um, I don't know if that's where I'm spending my time energy and effort to be honest with you Um, I don't I don't know maybe I'll get back to it um, at some point it's phenomenal I think it's a it's something very needed especially when you realize that we're the escape in in people's lives that you know allow them to have a few minutes of, of you know calm and not think about whatever problems they have or the stress of their daily life so I think, you know, even, even the nominal entertaining stuff is important just culturally for people to have that escape. So I, the values there, I just don't know if it's, if it's my calling anymore. Um, I didn't get into acting because I wanted to be famous. I didn't get into acting for a lot of the reasons that some people do. So I don't have that drive to really need that to validate me. Um, And a lot of times people need that drive to put themselves out there to do it anymore. Uh, yeah. and, and, and I, I proved to myself that I could act. Uh, I just, I, I accomplished some of the things that I wanted to do. So I'm not as driven with it, uh, to be honest with you as I was when I was a kid.
1: And I would think that it, I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but I mean, you're a legacy, you know, you are, you had a legacy character, you know, you changed the landscape for a storyline really how, I don't know what you could have done that would have topped that personally, you know, it's
0: right. Yeah. It, to be honest with you, I, I, I wouldn't have topped it. It would have just been, okay, I'm getting paid to continue to do something and yeah. then stay in that. But, you know, at that point, well, there wasn't enough reason to keep doing it. You know, it potentially only would have watered down and diluted what I did do. Right? Because yeah. if I went on to just play some random character that was insignificant, then I, I don't have the the framing of just what I did you know, okay. so it's in a way it's almost, it's almost better. Um, and I mean, think about it. It's, it's three years of, of work, you know, almost, you know, so let's say the beginning of this show, I was on two or three days a week. And then for the last year and a half, I was on five days a week. So I've got a lot of shows that if they put together an ensemble piece and, and composite, you know, I've got a lot of material that I can say, all right, here's what I did.
1: Yeah. Weird question. When they mention you on the show, do you get like a check for 20 bucks or something?
0: Uh, you know, I, I I must because there's like very <laughs> little nominal checks that come in. As uh, yeah,
1: We've just always uh, they, wondered that because, I mean, you're mentioned at least once a year around the nurse's ball. So,
0: yeah, it's it's enough to buy a cup of coffee.
1: <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we know that you're on social media. Do you want to share with everyone where they can find you and?
0: Um, yeah, sure. I mean, um, I post some stuff on my Instagram, Sutton, Michael. Um, and then I have my Twitter, which I use Michael double S Sutton, and it's not my middle initial and don't ask me why I chose it. But at the time I was like, um, I didn't have just Michael Sutton. And I thought, well, that sounded like a stadium introduction of my name, Michael Sutton, (laughs) but it's not my middle initial. So anyway, that's, that's, um, that's, that's what it is.
1: That's funny. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That's my Twitter. That's my Twitter. And uh, you know, otherwise I'm, um, I'm at the agency in Beverly Hills where I do my real estate. And uh, I have a new, uh, a new company that we launched. That's a, a fund called side equity ventures. And so we'll be doing some technology stuff. We'll be doing some renewable energy. We'll be doing uh, some real estate development and, um, that's what that's what we're focused on right now. And I, I had, um, gotten involved in a, in this company, uh, in Africa. So one of the things that was cool is last year, I got, uh, an award from Paladeck for entrepreneurship, uh, with giving back and, and, uh, creating business opportunities in Africa. So it's, it's based in Accra, Ghana. I've been to Ghana a bunch of times and, um, uh, that continent is very exciting because, It's where all the natural resources are it's um where you know everyone is looking to the future towards because you know of all the things that you know we we know are precious from the metals and diamonds and you know semiconductors and materials that are needed for all the the you know computer chips and accessories and things like that so we're very much involved in ghana and um that's where you find me these days
1: (laughs) that's awesome that's great
0: yeah Thank and you only both. Only do
1: the luxury real estate though, right?
0: Well, I you know, I'm just familiar with this market. So okay. I concentrate on the Beverly Hills flats and Truesdale and you know Sunset Plaza and this sort of niche market. Um just because I know it and and that's where I can lend my expertise towards.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. If I ever have anyone looking out there, I'll let them know to <laughs> use you.
0: Sounds good. I, I, I will do the same for for <laughs> Pittsburgh.
1: Thank you. This has been wonderful. Thank
0: you so much. Yeah, thank you. It was really nice. It was my pleasure to meet you both, talk to you, and thank you.
1: Hopefully this won't be the last time we chat and have fun tomorrow Uh, talking to Stephen Bradford. You'll have a good time.
0: Thank you very much. I look forward to it. We'll do it anytime you girls want.
1: All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. you. Thank you. Bye.
1: He's just so
3: nice. And I know we say this every time for real, but... You could hear the pride about the storyline in his voice. And the fact that it wasn't, no question that we asked, was he tired of hearing or of answer that on 10 other platforms or whatever. He was 100% committed to, sure, yeah, I'm excited. Let's talk about
1: it. This was awesome. This was great. And then we got some inside scoop, too. It was just, it was awesome. It was great. And I hope to. God, that somebody from Pittsburgh needs to move out to LA and then I can refer them to them. So, hey, if you live in Pittsburgh or if you live in LA and are looking to move to LA. And you please. need
3: a very expensive house in
1: LA. Yeah. So luxury real estate, I imagine, is... So I have a friend who lives in LA actually. And one of the houses that I just sold, she was like, that almost made me move to Pittsburgh because that's what a two bedroom townhouse costs out here. Wow. And she's like, you get all that land for that. I was like, yep. Yeah. That's why Pittsburgh's labeled one of the most affordable cities. Yes. So anyway, I digress on that, (laughs) but you're exactly right. And like I said, you do see some actors get tired of answering certain questions and they're like, Oh, I don't want to talk about that character again. Exactly. You know, he was just, he was so humbled and just so he has a good spirit. Yes. So it was, it was absolutely wonderful. And like Amanda said, so i really was not going to tell her that we were interviewing (laughs) him. That was going to be her Christmas present.
3: I'm so thankful that you did because I really don't know that I could have said anything if I did not have the fair warning that it was happening.
1: So, but what a great way to kind of round out 2020 and on an up note. Right. And it's perfect with the 25th anniversary. because goes right along with that perfectly. Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> so join us on Monday as we recap this week's episodes. And have a good weekend. And we'll meet you at the pier. Bye. Bye. If you enjoyed today's show, we invite
3: you to go to pier54podcast.com to subscribe on your favorite platform.
1: Don't forget to leave us a review.